Welcome to the Daily Ding on the Athletic Podcast Network. All together now. So First flush and ain't that a smooth one. This all goes, and I hope I have no friends. And his response was, I'm sorry, I just wanted a frosty. I want Tyler to know his ass should have got thrown out. If I was a ref, I would have tossed his last. How dare you? Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Monday morning. We have all of your action covered from the first weekend after All-Star break. I'm still Jared Weiss, and now I'm joined by someone new to the show, Bleacher Reports' Jerome Weitzman, who is the author of the fantastic new book, Taking to the Top, which provides a behind-the-scenes story of the process 76ers, probably my favorite topic in all the NBA. He's going to talk about Sixers stuff. We're also going to have him do the show with us, too, so it's going to be it's going to be a fun experience doing the show with your own and of course we always have rob lopez who is busy grammar checking his back tab right now but coming up on today's show philly's in trouble we're going to get into that bradley beal continues to lose in spectacular fashion and jim boylan is probably calling a timeout somewhere right now as we're speaking but first jason tatum went to la to boom the lakers but they boomed him right back he could not beat them the lakers beat the celtics 114 to 112 at staples they did so without their new signing markeith morris and of course the marcus cousins who they had to wave to add on morris but lebron is still on the team and he's still good he had 29 points he shot nine for 19 from the field and four for 10 from deep eight rebounds nine assists only two turnovers in 35 minutes AD, he was the high scorer for them. He had 32 points and 13 rebounds in 39 minutes. I mean, they bo- both sides went kind of playoff rotation deep here, your own. Uh, but he had a lot of misses and turnovers. But it was Jason Tatum on the other side who dominated the first few quarters of this game before the Lakers started really trapping him hard. He finished with 41 points, but he probably could have had a lot more than that, your own, if they hadn't really gotten aggressive with him on defense. Almost a, uh, it's almost as if we shouldn't jump to conclusions when guys in their second year, when they're 20, maybe don't take a leap to start them right away. Maybe, but maybe you wait uh, a few months and you can see what these guys can do. Tatum was great. I thought what was really interesting also was after the game, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, after the game, how Stevens kind of, Brad Stevens kind of mentioned about, yeah, he almost liked that they Tatum got to practice against the double teams now, right? Something that he hadn't seen much before and he'd be interested and he liked that he got to look at this before the playoffs come around. There is going to see it a ton in the playoffs. And, you know, it's funny because everything that he's doing, especially lately, is all the stuff that makes you a superstar. But what really makes you last as a superstar is that when teams start trapping you and they take the ball out of your hands, how do you stay relevant? How do you continue to impact the game? And they face a lot of those guys over the course of the year where they trap them and those guys figure out how to get the ball out of the hands and not turn it over and then still find their spots. And Tatum just couldn't quite get there in this game and obviously i mean you know he's in his third year so i'll give him some time before i start holding him to the same standard as lebron or Kawhi leonard but Jalen brown also stepped up in his stead i mean he had uh 20 points on eight for 19 shooting he played tremendous defense he started off guarding anthony davis and he kind of guarded almost everybody uh throughout the roster but this was with the celtics not having kemba walker and the fact that they fought that close was impressive but the thing i was also thinking about with the uh, celtics and the double teams with tatum 
is, you know, Kemba Walker, if you're talking about a, not even a release valve, right? Just another guy who, if they're doubling, like would teams be as comfortable doubling Tatum if he's going off, if Kemba's on the floor, I'm not sure. And if you are, then you're asking, right. You're asking for all sorts of trouble. Imagine no swinging way. the ball to Kemba on a weak side like that. Like how, what are you going to do? Um, AD? Yeah. It's just, it's just, I don't know. I'm excited for the playoffs, like watching LeBron, watching LeBron post and hitting AD for three is such a, you know, basketball in 2020 type of thing. Um, and I'm excited to see what those two do as the playoffs go, especially AD. We really haven't seen much in the postseason before Kyle Kuzma, who I think the Lakers are still trying to figure out what he's good for at this point. Uh, but he was pretty valuable this game. He had 16 points and four rebounds off the bench. He had some, they, you know, they had, you know, the Celtics were in control for a while and And then late third quarter, when the traps are happening against Tatum and the Celtics had kind of a weak offensive second unit out there around Tatum, Kuzma got a lot of buckets during that uh, during that phase of the game. And it was really him and Dwight Howard that were the guys contributing for that second unit. He looked really good, right? He was uh, I mean, I guess should we not tell Zach Lowe? Maybe we shouldn't tell Zach Lowe that we're talking about Kyle Kuzma. They might not like that, but (laughs) but but, uh, no, he looked good. It was like I mean, that's. I don't know. That's, that's going to be, is not going to be the Lakers recipe going for, I'll say, you know, we're saying going forward, the theme here is going to be like playoffs, right? Where it's kind of the next, the next third of the season is really just a preview of the playoffs. And it's like, who can, who else can give the Lakers some scoring, some punch. So maybe it could be Markeith Morris, maybe Kyle Kuzma, whoever it is. And that's going to be the key for them. Yeah. And we, we'd be remiss without mentioning the officiating in this game, because there were a lot of controversial calls in this one. Um, I thought one of the, one of the funniest ones was that Jalen Brown saved the ball while falling out uh, falling out of bounds on top of the ref and the ref called Jalen for stepping out of bounds. I think even though the replay showed that one, the, the ref was like covering for, he was ducking for cover. Didn't even really see the play. Uh, and Jalen clearly had not stepped out of bounds and it was just kind of like a play on situation, but there were kind of a lot of those in this game that uh, let's just say my mentions after the game were a complete cesspool. And a lot of people wanted me right out of Boston for pointing out that Jason Tatum did <laughs> elbow KCP in the face on the final possession. Uh, and it was, uh, I mean, be, we should mention that the shot, like the game came down to Jason Tatum airballing a shot just after the buzzer that had he hit it, that he could have at least you know, set the game to overtime. But he got called for inadvertently pushing off the, the face of Contavious Caldwell Pope, which is probably not what he's going to get away with best ref mess up was the when LeBron convinced them that he somehow touched the ball that he didn't touch and they reversed a the goaltending and it led to a jump ball which was pretty you know ironic given what happened over the weekend I think that was the uh, that took the cake for me oh yeah and we'll get to that <laughs> later in the, in the show with the controversial goaltend calls but there were two controversial goaltend slash non-goaltend calls in this one that one I, I think what they did in hindsight was that the ball was ricocheting so hard off the backboard that they were claiming that it that had no chance of going in but I don't think that's a legit call it's like as long as the ball's up in the air going off the backboard unless it's like going completely away from the rim which it was not it was going maybe past the rim they should have called that a goaltend and then just go and review it after that Delivery is more than just pizza in 2020. With a selection of your favorite flavors from across the globe, you can order world cuisine from the comfort of your living room with DoorDash. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 310,000 restaurant partners in 4,000 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. Right now, our listeners, they can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code DING. That's 5 
$5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and you enter that code DING. So don't forget that code is DING for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Let's head back in time to Milwaukee, where the Bucks beat the Sixers 119 and 98 in the other APC showcase game of the weekend. Uh, things are not going well in Philadelphia. And thankfully, we have an expert on the show to discuss it. But first, we got to mention Giannis is just great. He's, he's good. I think he's going to win MVP because he had 31 points, 12 for 17 from the field, 17 rebounds, which is somehow just like average for him, and eight assists on top of that, and four turnovers. Another pretty much perfect game for Chris Middleton, who had 25 points on 10 for 15 shooting and nine rebounds. The Bucks they really ran away with this, this one in the third quarter, outscoring the Sixers 37 to 23, uh, where they just like, they found every shooter they could on every possession and knocked down a shot and then in the meantime it was Furkan Korkmaz carrying the load for Philadelphia he uh, to his credit he had <laughs> 17 points on 7 for 14 shooting and 26 minutes and Shake Milton who was uh, who was playing in the G League pr- uh, maybe like a couple months ago he had 17 points as well in only 22 minutes of play but the big problem here was one, you had Ben Simmons leaving the game early with lower back soreness, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but first off, what is going on with Al Horford, your own? <laughs> we just go back to the Furkan Korkmaz led Sixers and also Shake Milton in the lead. Like that just kind of sums it up right there, doesn't it? Um, Horford, yeah, it was, it's almost as if if you have a center, right? And one center as one of your main guy and a point guard who doesn't shoot as your other superstar, you shouldn't be spending, you know, your all season, your $100 million shouldn't be invested in another center, right? Um, and I know hindsight's 2020, but I think we can agree that the Al Horford signing was not good. I don't know. It's weird, right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't look happy. He doesn't fit. This fits not right. He's not playing well on defense. He, I think uh, Derek Bonner, right? Your colleague had a great stat that Horford, I guess he had a three against Milwaukee. Um, I think, I believe that was only his 10th three he's hit while playing in minutes with Embiid this season, which seems like impossible. Uh, yeah. Crap. It's right. That's ridiculous, right? It's a uh, it's a mess. It's really just a mess. And the fact that Simmons, what game was it where Simmons was out, and you know Horford still didn't star? It just or it just or Horford didn't play down the stretch. It just kind of shows you where they're at there. And I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the answer is here. Well, he had three points. One for seven shooting, one for six from three, seven rebounds, two assists, four fouls in 24 minutes coming off the bench. (laughs) Great stuff. I mean, I've talked about this on the show a few times. I covered Al for the last few years in Boston. He's being they're not using him in the way that he's been playing for the last like five years of his career, basically. Like they're completely I don't know. I wouldn't say they're using him wrong, but they're just not using him the way that is easily proven to be effective. And, and then, you know, on his side of the coin there, he just isn't shooting well anymore. And he was shooting over 40% a couple of years ago and he became a, you know, one of the best big man shooters, really one of the best shooters in the league for a while. And it's really fallen off a cliff. And if he isn't stretching the floor and being a 40% shooter, then he's not bringing a ton else to the offense because they're not playmaking through him. So yeah, it's, it's a, (laughs) they probably should have traded him if they could have, but I guess they probably couldn't have uh, because nobody else wants to have to figure this out. But you're right. The fit is just a complete disaster. Something that interests me with that, with him, you know, is I'm always the shooting, but I'm always interested in how guys get their shots. And I, I would, 
wouldn't. I don't know if this is true, but I do wonder if, you know, being used and getting threes in rhythm off a pick and pop type thing versus standing still for 10 seconds and catch and shooting, especially if you're not a natural shooter, like a guy like Horford. I always wonder how that could affect a player and that, you know, that's amateur stuff. But but I think that's yeah, I think that could be a big part of it. What we're seeing. They don't even really run pick and pop. And that's like the whole point of what Embiid is supposed to be doing in this offense. It's pick and pop or pick and roll, making the read on that. That's what Horford did so well in Boston. He was incredible in that role. What do you see as the path forward for Embiid and Simmons down the stretch here? If Simmons is even able to play with that sore back issue to figure things out, especially considering everything you know from what's in your book and all the research that you've done in the past of how they've tried to push this relationship along. Yeah, down the stretch here. I mean, I think it's kind of done, right? I think my it's not that they hate each other. They get along. Okay. Um, They're not best friends. Right. But it's like I think there's a mutual respect. It's almost like I, I would describe it as like college roommates who aren't great, really close and get in each other's nerves. Maybe there are things here and there, but you go through so much, you kind of develop a relationship, right? And you see that, um, but it's the on-court fit. That's the biggest problem. It's more than the personality stuff. The on-court fits a problem. Like they just don't, it's tough and you got to be really careful how you use your resources around them and just, you know, getting guys like Al Horford around them or spending, you know, $180 million in Tobias Harris. I just, he's a good guy. Just you're maxing out and you're hitting your ceiling and you need ball handlers and need ball handlers and shoot ball handlers and shooters and they don't have it. And it's a problem. All right, well, let's transition over to news. And the first thing on that agenda is Ben Simmons is going to be having another set of MRIs on Monday to be able to figure out what is the deal with his sore left back and or lower back. Uh, you only have one back. Uh-huh, this was reported by Woj. <laughs> you know, we, we saw in the early in that Milwaukee game that while he was actually looking pretty impressive, he was very stiff and something was wrong. And then about five minutes in, he's like, you know, he's like, hurt, you know, kind of hunched over on his knees he he leaves a game he only played five minutes in that one and you know a back injury that's the kind of thing that it could just continue to plague you the entire season so i'm assuming they're probably going to want to sit him out so if he's sitting out for the time being what do you do if you're brett brown to try to kind of you know figure out this team without simmons out there I mean, you know, I don't know, what are you going to do? They have who's like how old is going to start a point guard. Is your bet like your main ball handler, like Josh Richardson, who they wanted to be their backup point guard, right? Coming into the season, kind of play two in their backup point guard. Um, we know that that doesn't work with him as your primary creator. You know, he's in, he's got a lot of strengths. That is not one of them. Um, the biggest issue to me, the thing, but it's interesting, right? Because you say you assume he'll set out. I don't know if we can assume that with the Sixers, given what's happened here with Simmons and the history with them. Like, you know, Simmons had a sore back. There's no reason he should have been playing in this game. There was a sideline report from ESPN that he was going to go back and get treatment every time he can of the game. Like that seems crazy. Right. And there's a history of the team allowing guys back on the court. If uh, even in situations where maybe they should not have or where they were coming from injury as recently as this season with him beating his finger. And that reminds me of that little anecdote from your book about how uh, it was a Brett Brown was telling the medical staff that we're all going to get fired because we can't keep Joel in shape <laughs> yeah, last, last season. Last yeah. year in Miami, he went in, they went to the room and said, we're all going to get fired because, you know, Joel's not in shape. Some medical staff, they get fired. Um, some guys are still there. You know why these things happen with the Sixers? Like that's a, a deeper conversation that, that, hey, I spent like 250 pages writing about it. You can go check it out. But no, no, in terms <laughs> of like in terms of who's in charge, who's making decisions, it's just, you know, there aren't simple answers, but these are not, you know, we saw this with Embiid's first year back when he tours meniscus and you know he's coming back and forth and you know brian colangelo and all that stuff so this is not a new problem with the sixers and it's the kind of thing that the way the roster is built now simmons is we see it like who's who's creating offense for them if you know if or who's handling the ball if simmons is out i don't know i don't know the answer alec burks maybe right i guess right 
well, you know, uh, what there was a positive that came out of this game for Milwaukee, of course, which is that because of the Wizards loss on Sunday, which we'll touch on later, and then Milwaukee's win on Saturday, the Bucks have clinched the earliest playoff spot in the last 15 years. They're currently, I believe, still on pace to win 70 games. They, um, they continue to be perfect. And, you know, watching this game, there was, I mean, Giannis was great and Middleton was great, but, like, it, they don't seem like they, you know, are just, like, completely tearing you apart every single night. It's just, like, they just, they just, they, they compose the right ingredients together to win every single night, and it really is a spectacle. But this is the part we're going to talk about in news, and it is Mark Cuban protesting the Mavs' loss to Atlanta Saturday, which was first reported by Mark Stein in the New York Times. There's no way he's going to win this one. But so there was a, a goaltend called against the Mavs on a Trey Young layup with 8.4 seconds left that would have put Atlanta up four. But then a review showed that it was a block. The problem was after this ball was blocked, John Collins jumped in the air, caught it and laid it back in. So the way that they changed the ruling was that it was no longer a goaltend, but it was an inadvertent whistle. And then John Collins made the basketball play and finished it off. So Mark Cuban lost his goddamn mind, blasted <laughs> the refs and the league office leadership on Twitter after the game. Um, and so he's going to get fined, but uh, the league office is going to wait on disciplining him until after they finish the protest call. Um, but so you there's no way that he could possibly win this, right? I mean, the rules are pretty, straightforward and the play by Collins like it wasn't like everybody stood around not paying attention and he picked up the ball and dunked it like he caught the ball in the air and, th- and laid it in in the air that was what was cool okay so I didn't see this play live so you know I was uh you see the tweets like okay this is interesting I'll cue up the clip right and I go click on the clip and I see Trey Young and the ball come off and Collins go up and yeah they <laughs> Collins is in the air like the whistle blows I think after Collins is in the air right like no box the lack of box out had nothing to do with the whistle blowing um yeah Cuban is ridiculous like I, I get what he's trying to do but like we we always want the refs to have some sense of you know common sense and how they call games. This was that. And I can't believe Cuban, you know, I can't believe this is what he decided to blow his gasket over. I think the gasket was just about to blow at some point. And you know, the thing is it would have been one thing if there was a guy that was in position to block out John Collins, but there wasn't, the guy was focused on the shot and contesting the shot. And there was no body on Collins. Like there was nothing that happened in the play that like the play happened. It was a bang, bang play. And so it all happened in the air. There was nothing, there was nothing you could see in the tape that could possibly be changing the scenario. So I don't think Mark Cuban's going to get his dream of having a uh, a replay of the last 9.7 seconds of the game. I admire how athletic and quick Mark Cuban believes his players are in terms of their ability to react. <laughs> so last news items here, uh, Steph Curry, he says he's going to be back March 1st as a target date. So credit to our very own Marcus Thompson, who reported that, I think, like at the beginning of the year. So that turned out to be pretty accurate. And then Jared Jackson Jr., he suffered a left knee sprain and Memphis has lost to the Lakers on Friday. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. And that's a big deal because the Grizzlies only are three games ahead of the Blazers for the eight seeds. So they're going to need Jackson back as soon as possible. 
Let's get to the rest of the games. The Raptors beat the Pacers 127 to 81 in Toronto. It was the second worst loss in Pacers history. Uh, they didn't have Victor Oladipo due to back spasms. Marcus Soul and Norm Powell were both out with a hammy and broken finger, respectively. And then Jeremy Lamb left the game in the second quarter for Indiana with a knee injury. Uh, but the Pacers started the game with nine straight missed shots, so I don't think that was going to matter anyway. Uh, the Raptors, they led by a season high 49 uh, at one point in this game they had their most lopsided victory of all time and the Pacers had the fewest points scored by a Raptors opponent this year the Raptors are 17 in one in their last 18 games they're on a nine game home winning streak while the Pacers are three and seven in their last 10 wow the Raptors have been good Pascal Siakam had 21 points and three assists Kyle Lowry 16 points 11 assists and seven boards Matt Thomas the greatest shooter of all time he had 17 points <laughs> on five for seven from deep and then on the Pacers side Doma Sabonis had 14 and 11 and five assists and Aaron Holiday he had 14 points six assists and four rebounds Heading over to Denver, the Nuggets, they beat the Timberwolves 128 to 116. No revenge for Malik Beasley or Juancho Hernan Gomez in this one. D'Lo and Carl Towns are both out for Minnesota, which might have made things a little bit tricky. And Michael Porter Jr., he was out for the Nuggets. But the Nuggets, they came out hot and they ended the game hot. Jokic and Millsap, they made their first six shots of the game. The Nuggets, they shot 68% in the first half. They had a season high 73 points. And then they close the game on a 22 to 2 run Millsap he finished with 25 and 7 Jokic at 24 and 7 on 11 for 14 shooting and Jamal Murray he put up 19 points on his 23rd birthday Malik Beasley did get his points in he got 17 points and 8 rebounds and then Jordan McLaughlin who I'd never seen play before this game he was explosive in the third quarter what a joy to watch a little point guard with a ton of energy 15 points and 10 assists and 4 rebounds and then uh, Kalon Martin he had a career high 21 points and a of course, not only did Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley get a video tribute, but Jared Vanderbilt, he got a video tribute as well in this one. So everybody's getting video tributes these, these days, although I haven't gotten mine yet, but I'll get one eventually, hopefully. So <laughs> Chicago, we're going to talk about this one a little bit. The Bulls, they beat the Wizards 126 to 117 to leave it to the Wizards defense to finally get the Bulls a win. Uh, Zach Levine, he had 32 points on 11 for 20 shooting, and he broke Ben Gordon's franchise record for threes made in a season with 177 but shout out to kobe white he got that hair tied back and he's had two 30 point games this weekend he had tied a career high with 33 points on sunday he had six rebounds two assists and five turnovers off the bench joining the one and only michael jordan as the only bulls rookie to have 30 points in consecutive games and he's also the first rookie reserve to score 30 points since starter slash bench stats even began being recorded in 1970 so uh pretty good day for kobe white uh but i want to talk about jim boylan because he's been getting some flack for some of the timeouts that he's been uh calling lately and uh it really came to a head and uh, credit to the athletic Darnell mayberry who had a really good story on this um you know, so Boylan, he called a timeout in the other game that Kobe White uh, had 30 points, uh, 33 points in, and he called the timeout with 10 seconds left or so, or maybe it's like 30 seconds left, but they were down by 10. And Zach Levine is like, uh, you, there's a clip of him going, why are we calling a timeout with 10 seconds left? So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. 
I believe you left out the expletive also that we saw Zach Levine uh, mutter as he was uh, complaining. Um, also, John Beeline has to be really jealous of the way Jim Boylan's allowed to get away with coaching, right? In terms of acting like it's a college team. It's crazy. Oh, it's just it's just crazy. I can't believe I can't believe what he's getting away with. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say getting away with it, right? It seems like the players aren't happy, but uh, he has a front office backing. Um, not surprising. I just, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's shock. It's, I guess it's not shocking that the, uh, this is the guy that's leading the bulls to what's the record now. I didn't even see how many, uh, let's say 20 and nothing a lot. It's, I think uh, I'd have yeah. to bleep it if I read it on the air. It's not bad. <laughs> but, exactly. You know, the thing is it, Jim Boylan, all he has to do is when he's asked by the press about these timehouse, just say, we're trying to build winning habits and we want to fight till the very end and try to win some of these games, even if it seems unlikely, like just, just talk about winning. Don't talk about teaching these guys lessons or all this stuff. Just use the word winning and put it on them. Cause you know what? Frankly, Zach Levine's wrong. Zach, like they should be calling a timeout down 10. If there's five, if, you know, potentially five possessions left in the game, they should be fighting tooth and nail to get some of these wins, especially because the eight seed is not that far off. So I think while Boylan is, do, has done a horrible job as a coach in that maybe some of the stuff he does makes sense from a basketball perspective, but he does not communicate it to his team or to the public well enough to be able to keep his job. But like, there's a very legitimate basketball reason to be doing these things. Oh, by the way, Bradley Beal at 53 points. Okay, so moving on to OKC, the Thunder crushed Pop in the Spurs, 131 to 103. And actually, let's hear from Pop because he was not happy after this one. Thunder is so different than in years past. They had eight guys in double digits tonight. And a lot of times they won in years past with two or three. Can you? Is there a question here? Yeah. Can, can you can you speak on the dramatic change year to year in, in the? From one, I, I don't know if it's a dramatic change. I, I don't watch it that closely. So. Any more questions that will amaze me? Because I got to talk to my boss over here. Because you guys are all boring. So, yeah, so eight OKC players scored in double figures. It's the first time it's ever happened in the OKC era. Uh, they use a 16 and nothing second quarter run to take the lead before halftime, and then they expanded that lead to 25 in the third quarter. Shea Gilders Alexander had 22 points, 13 rebounds, and four assists. Steven Adams had 21 and 14. And Lucas Dort had 15 points. He scored points in this one. Can't believe it. And uh, CB3, he fell one rebound shy of a triple double. Uh, we technically have to read a Spurs stat line. So we're going to go with Rudy Gay having 14 points off the bench. <laughs> Let's head up to the Bay Area where the Pelicans beat the Warriors 115 to 101. No Draymond Green or Marquise Chris for Golden State, which explains the only reason why they lost. The Pelicans are 5-1 and one in their last six games. And Zion Williamson has gone insane since he came back from his original I guess everything, but particularly than the injury. Uh, but so he uh, he had 28 points and seven rebounds. His eighth straight 20 point game is the longest by a rookie this season. 13 for 20 from the field. Um, and, I mean, he made his first three actually since he. It's funny because when he came out, is it is uh, is. NBA debut in the fourth quarter he was raining wide open threes and he hasn't made a three apparently since then up until this one when he went 13 for 20 from the field to hit a three uh, Drew Holiday had 23 points 15 assists and 7 rebounds uh, on the other side Damian Lee had 22 points and 4 assists uh, Juan Toscano Anderson my favorite name in the NBA right now he had 16 points and 8 rebounds and the local uh, B former BC guy so local for me at least uh, Kai Bowman had 
15 points and six rebounds off of the bench. Our last game on Sunday, the Blazers, they beat the Pistons 107 to 104 at home. CJ McCollum with a great game, 41 points, 15 for 30 from the field, six for 11 from deep, 12 assists, nine rebounds, one turnover in 43 minutes. That is a perfect performance. Uh, and they are now one and one without Dame Lillard, who was not playing in this one. Uh, their next two games are against Boston and, and then in Indiana. So they got a tough slate ahead of them. They needed this win pretty badly. Um, Carmelo Anthony had a season high 32 points on 11 for 16 from the field. Unbelievable efficiency. You know, can you just give me five seconds on Carmelo Anthony shooting that as someone who's been in New York for a long time and saw a lot of inefficient nights from Carmelo Anthony? This is well, <laughs> the last, how about this? Last time I saw Carmelo was in Memphis recently when I think he was like one of 17 for the game. So it's nice to see him finally hit some jumpers and uh, look better. I must have felt like you were at home and you saw that, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hassan Whiteside, 16 and 17 with four blocks. On uh, Detroit's side, it's kind of an ugly game on the box score, but Christian Wood, who's had a really good season, finally coming into his own as an NBA rotation player, 26 points on 9 for 15 from the field. A big man who had 2 for 4 from deep. Al Horford could learn a thing or two from him, and he had nine rebounds all off of the bench. And just for another reminder that Brandon Knight is still in the NBA, and he he had 15 points in 20 minutes in this one. So let's get to our lines of the weekend. We have the aforementioned McCollum, 41 point, 12 assists, nine rebounds, uh, just short of a triple double and only one turnover in 43 minutes. Jason Tatum, we talked about earlier, he had 41 points, five rebounds, 12 for 20 shooting, four for seven from deep and 13 for 15 from the line. On Saturday, the Rockets uh, went nuts with James Harden. He had 38 points. Russell Westbrook had 34 points. They were both very efficient from the field. And John Collins, the Mark Cuban's favorite player right now in that game. He had 35 points on 13 for 18 shooting and 17 rebounds. And then on Friday, Pascal Siakam in a win over Phoenix had 37 points and 12 rebounds. But what was your line of the weekend? How about Bradley Beal, right? Forget the Wizards lose, probably fall out of the playoff race that they shouldn't even be in anymore. Career high, 53 points, five rebounds, four assists, seven turnovers, whatever. Also, I like the idea of him and Tatum, both Chaminade graduates, combining for 94 points in one day. That's pretty cool. It's pretty incredible. All right, well, that's going to do it for today's show. So don't forget about the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like Back to Back, No Dunks, Tampering, House of Strauss, plus over a dozen team-specific shows available from some of your favorite athletic beat writers. So don't forget to follow on the app to get notifications for new episodes. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck because you can get all of our podcasts ad-free, plus some fantastic writing across all major your sports, including some of mine, all for a super low price. So you can get 40% off of your subscription today by just going to theathletic.com slash dings. You never know when these promos end. So get there soon. And uh, your own, give us a quick plug of everything that you're doing. Yeah, check out my work on Bleacher Report. More importantly, though, don't tell them I'm saying that. Check out my book on uh, the Sixers called Tanking to the Top. It's on the Sixers in the Process. I think you'll like it if you like this podcast. Uh, you can check it out on Amazon or wherever books are sold. It's out March 17th. Oh, I can promise you you're going to love reading this one. So thank you for waking up with us. And you're on. There's a very special role that the guest has on this show. They say the very last words of the show, and it's ding, ding. So can you give me a ding, ding? Ding, ding. Ding, ding.